0: Good afternoon and welcome back to the Worthy for 30 podcast. I'm your host, Eric Tash, and I'm elated to introduce uh, my next guest, uh, someone I've known for, I don't know, 34, 35 years, B.A. Van Sice, uh, a proud Baldwinite uh, like myself, uh, Baldwin High School. You know, if you go to, if you look at Baldwin history, you have D. Snyder, B.A. Van Sice, um Scott Rudin. I don't think people want to be associated with him, but anyway, B.A., welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so glad uh, to come and do this. It's uh, it's kind of funny. It's been a, a weird and busy week for for me. But, you know, as you're saying, it's, it's not it's not quite as long as you think it is. But, you know, it's really been it's been 30 years. We were little kids together and uh, it's, it's strange to see all the different ways that that life can take people and, and the, the different paths that we all end up having. So it's kind of fun to reunite. I don't think you and I have seen each other in almost 20 years, maybe a little yeah. more than 20 years. So, we, we, we were joking before uh, we came on the, the podcast that uh, we, we've changed a little bit. We're exactly as young as when last we met, and uh, our uh, facial hair has also changed a little bit. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> we're, 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 you know, age is just a number. We're, we're still as youthful and, and, and vivacious as we were when we were kids. Uh, have a, a, a joie de vivre uh, for, for life.
1: You know, there's a, there's a funny thing about that, actually. So, I, uh, I, I've been having some conversations. Uh, and you're you're absolutely positively under no circumstances allowed to discuss an exhibition that is going to come out before the museum announces it. So I'm not talking about an exhibition that's coming together in Kansas City, but I was having some meetings about it this morning, and we're talking about different survivors that uh, I might want to bring out because it's about invited to life. And I mentioned this, this survivor who I'm, I particularly I have deeply you know warm feelings about, and, and I said, you know, he's, he's 90, but he feels younger than you, because he does. And that, that's a big part of it. The energy you carry around in the world makes, makes a big
0: difference. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely does. You know, uh, as I like to say there, you know, um, you, you can't get your highs too high or lows too low. I you was know, trying to keep stasis as much as possible uh, throughout your day, uh, despite, you know, what gets thrown at you, you know, you know we were talking before we started recording, you know, you go on social media, it's like, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. Uh, but when again, when we get our bearings, when we get our druthers, we can re- really look and, and, and grasp on what we're grateful for. And it's again, having this opportunity, having this opportunity to, yes, you know, we haven't seen each other, but we follow each other on social media. Mm-hmm. And I've been keeping tabs on what BA has been doing, uh, both as a photojournalist as well as, a, as an author. Uh, and before we get to, you know, the book that is coming out tomorrow. I uh, mm-hmm. would love for you to tell uh, both myself and the audience, you know, again knowing you, uh, you know, up until high school or seeing you uh, every day up until high school, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. this this passion and zeal for photojournalism. Where does it come from, and how has it evolved and manifested through the years?
1: So it, it came from a sort of a strange place. I think if you if you'd met me when I was in high school, you wouldn't have thought this is the course I was going to go down. I suspect. but. You know, when I got to to college, I actually, I, I entered my sort of little journalism life by answering an ad on Craigslist and other old-fashioned sentences. And uh, the, the New York Sun, the then fledgling and now defunct, not my fault, New York Sun, had posted an ad up saying they're looking for a cub reporter. That's exactly how they phrased it. And I said, oh, that'll be interesting that sounds like a, a fun old-fashioned even the time kind of thing and so i went down and interviewed with them and they said do you want to be a writer or do you want to be a photographer And i thought it'd be interesting to go take pictures this was a week before 9 11 and it was a weird way to, to start in the the, sort of the journalism world i started as the most unimportant peon in the new york journalism community like i think a lot of folks kind of do and um I fell in love with it very quickly, but not for the reason that most folks I think do. Most folks get into what we call image making or visual storytelling uh, because they like making pictures. I certainly do. That's not the reason why I'm there. I have always been really attracted to the fact that it's a gateway to meeting absolutely everybody. You get to meet every kind of person from every kind of background with every kind of story and everybody you meet has something to teach you. And, you know, I've, I've gotten to sit down with people who are, who are politicians, who are celebrities, who are Holocaust survivors. I'm doing a party right now that has me spending a lot of time in really remote parts of the country. I spent a lot of time working with Native American folks, people who I wouldn't necessarily have that much opportunity to be hanging out with, but I get to meet them and I get to learn from them. I get to uh engage with them you know this you run a podcast you when you when you actually when you scratch people everybody gets really interesting really fast and and the enrichment that it it gives to my life the greed that I have for sort of this experiential learning is is really really deep I started as a photojournalist and I dropped it because it's it's an incredibly hard career to keep I ended up going becoming an executive for a few years I worked for a, a man I loved deeply who taught me a lot. And I ended up working for a couple companies, ended up with the Daily Mail group, then left the Daily Mail group and ended up uh, working as an executive at a private jet company and came back to doing this. Uh, Took a 95% pay cut to do it. Uh, The thing that I missed was fundamentally the being out there, the getting to talk to people, you know, there, there's, there's an aspect of that if you're sort of in a, in a, in a sales based organization or whatnot, where you get to meet people, that's a very different engagement. That's a very different relationship. What I get now is I get to while suffering the endless pain of being the product, uh, I get to also um, go and, and meet people and, and engage in something that's really Sort of socially and spiritually fulfilling, and that that's what keeps me going. So I don't know that I can call myself to get back to your question of how I got started in photojournalism. I don't know, I don't know that I can call myself a photojournalist fairly anymore. I still have a press card. Uh, I still I, I spent most of the pandemic working for Getty. Certainly, if someone calls me that, they're not wrong. But I'm something different now, and I don't exactly know how to define what it is. Um, the way I usually describe it is the way that I think would be very appealing to a worthy for thirty audience. I try and tell stories that make the world a little smaller.
0: Try, trying to tell stories that make the, the world a little smaller. No, that's, that's that's tremendous. You know what what I try to aspire is. Uh, to do is bring on people like yourself, BA, which is how do we make the world around us just a little bit more familiar? And I think that's what you're doing, you know, through that experience, through sitting down with, with different groups and really getting to understand the humanity, you know, as I was preparing for our conversation today and looking at your projects, uh, both from the exhibitions, the books, uh, you know, uh, photo capture, it's there, there's that uh, there's a humanity element that is the common denominator that I've uncovered is you know for instance like the poets that you that you profiled in, in Children of Grass you know w- one of the, the interviews that you gave is like i didn't know uh, that they were so humorous and cr- and uh, humorous and had and had this again this uh, uh, gregarious nature about them i thought you know they were, you know they were, and again i'm not quoting you but i'm just from what my interpretation is they, they sit behind a desk and when somebody comes to them they put it on paper and they put it out uh, put it out there no you really understood who these people are and were uh which i think is is incredible to your point about the humanity
1: people almost always defy their stereotypes you know when i I was working with when i started children in grass i expected it to be a bunch of sort of lofty academics who were highly engaged with ponderous processes and in reality it was a bunch of people who like to have fun really have experiential lives um working with survivors when i when i started Doing the Invited to Life project, I started at something very different than what it turned into. But you certainly have this image that's portrayed of what Holocaust survivors look like. Uh, look like there's certainly um, popular images of um, the stereotype of Jews, not all the survivors are photographed as Jews, but, but many are, most are, mm-hmm. uh, and what that uh, looks like. And in reality, it doesn't really match the experience. All of my poets, and I I have an obnoxious habit of calling them my poets and my survivors. All of my poets, you know, they weren't necessarily people who were sitting around just smoking pipes and wearing tweed and thinking about the deep thoughts all day long. And most of my survivors are not sad. Um, Survivors are always portrayed as being these these victimized, pathetic people, and they're really, really, truly, I I can't express it strongly enough, they're not that. Mm -hmm. Then other projects, I have a project called Elsewhere that no one cares about that I love. Which is about sort of America's overlooked quarters, and people expect a certain thing, for instance of the poor in America, which isn't exactly accurate. people have a certain thing they expect of the wealthy in America, which isn't exactly accurate. everybody's complex, everybody kinds of defies the box you want to put them into
0: right and it's, and it's up and, and what your objective is is you know how do you frame you know and you you, you thought before you know i published this, this piece of work that this person fell into that box but actually they don't it's again it's a bit more sophisticated it's a bit more nuanced you know you're going going back to the, the holocaust survivors the poets i do actually want to talk about it elsewhere because it's, it's very it's very interesting in the sense that again you're capturing america uh you know mar- uh, and marginalized america potentially mm-hmm. neglected america mm-hmm. so, uh, people and places that you don't normally think. Again, I, I try not to be uh, this, you know, a former, you know, New York resident who thinks that the United States is New York, a little bit of mm-hmm. Chicago, and then LA, and, and everything else in between is just flyover. No, there's, there's, uh, America is vibrant. It's the the diversity. It's the melting pot. You know that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that, that we we talked about. You know, growing up is that you know the reason why you know people came from the old country. Like for me, for my family, mm-hmm. came from. With present day um, Belarus, you know, mm-hmm. and the, the thought of you know, getting on the ship and going through Ellis Island, and you know the streets of New York are painted gold. But again, it's it's more than that. It's the land of opportunity, and when they were th- when. My ancestors, ancestors, again, I'm thinking that I was there on the boat, but when they were coming to America, they, they weren't thinking that New York is a land of opportunity, America is a land of opportunity. America is this except, exceptionalism uh, that it provides. So I'd love for you to talk about elsewhere and why it, why it uh, means so much to you and, and for for the audience. Yeah,
1: so I mean, so fundamentally there's, I was just Googling, I can't remember who it was, but there's, a, there's an old writer who commented that uh, we were told that when we got to America, the streets would be paved with gold. And we showed up, they found out that we found out they weren't paved at all. And in fact, we were expected to pave them. Uh, there's, I, I can't remember who said the quote and I just couldn't find it in five seconds while you were chatting. You know, there's there, there's, a, there's a strange aspect to it only because, you know, Elsewhere is probably my most beloved project and nobody cares about it at all. Uh, it comes out of this, this thing that I feel very strongly. Uh, I have a very, very deep, uh, love of America and the American experience and the American opportunity. But I always have to clarify that, especially because we live in sort of troubling and troubled times. Uh, my love of America is sort of the love that uh, love of a good spouse. I see its defects. I want to improve it. I hope it sees the defects in me and wants to improve me. It should be the love of a spouse, not the love of, you know, the way you love your ex-girlfriend. who seems perfect in hindsight. She wasn't. You know, there's, 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 there's a, there's a, there's a reality to that. Um, I travel for a living. I travel constantly. I travel everywhere, you know? And, uh, when you go into America, it is challenging to, it's impossible actually to avoid some of the warts of it. There's, it's a big complex society. You know, Aaron Sorkin wrote the American president 25 years ago that America's advanced citizenship, and that's true. And Elsewhere gives me an ability to do something I love to do with every single one of my projects, which is tell you I'm telling one story and actually tell you another and elsewhere ostensibly looks like, Oh, BA is running around and taking pictures of airplanes. Isn't that cute. And then you read the narrative of it and understand, oh, there's actually something else going on there. And it came out of this very real ingrained thing for for me and i'm going to spoil for your listeners something about you and i that we have in common uh mm-hmm. eric grew up about three blocks away from me and we both grew up under the landing pattern for john f kennedy airport and uh constantly there was just this constant din of airplanes landing over us and I, it never got tired for me my father worked at the airport, and We'd go out on Saturday mornings and listen to the Concorde takeoff. And there's a miracle of we'll flight. fight. There is a miracle in America that people can always be reinventing themselves. Fundamentally, I can get up tomorrow, move to Los Angeles, change my job, change my name, declare myself a different gender and society is not really going to blink at that. And that's something that's actually very uniquely American. If you are, ba- if you are, you know, great grandpa Tash in Belarus, you don't have that opportunity. If you're my cousins who live in Europe now, you don't have that opportunity. In America, we've always had that. Americans have always been mobile since the beginning. If you're talking about uh, the colonizers, if you're talking about the people who lived here for 40,000 years before the colonizers, mm-hmm. it has always been a mobile society and a mobile culture. But fundamentally, while everyone else is moving around and chasing opportunity or being chased by opportunity or being chased by the law or anything else, there's always folks who are left behind. There's always folks whose those opportunities leave behind and elsewhere is sort of a visual way of showing that.
0: Right. No, it's, uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's great. So in terms of folks who want to learn more about elsewhere, where can they go? Uh, uh, my,
1: website? my website's the best thing for do it for anything really. I, I keep it updated fairly regularly. It's, it's bavansize.com. Uh, El- El- yeah, El- elsewhere shows in little dribs and drabs here and there, uh, they occasionally somebody will some museum somewhere will pick up a picture of it here and there there's a picture a lot of museums seem to like of the, uh, there's a flight taking off over uh, actually kind of not far from where we grew up in uh, the very 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 eastern corner of queens of a plane going to south reed or something huge big ship taking off but um you know it,
0: that, that's the best place to find anything so generally speaking so okay all right, ba.vanceys. and I'll include that in the show notes. Uh, and just am moving a little bit along, and, and you know, and I definitely want to get to invite invited to life. You know, uh, BA's latest project, uh, latest book, which is coming out tomorrow, is you know, right before we started to record, I brought up this this point of Marshall Karp, uh, this um, this advertising executive who wrote this huge quora quarter response in terms of like what he learned and his inflection point in life. And, you know, he's 39. He was at, at that point uh, in his life, he was 39. He reached the, 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 the peak of his career at an advertising agency, you know, had the the dog, the kids, the family, the summer house, you know, all the accoutrements of a wife, a life well lived, you know, and, you know, and what he said to himself is, is this all it is it is this is this like what life is supposed to be and he was looking for more meaning more meaning and and he figured out a way to to parlay his advertising experience into becoming a, a television writer and pitching mm-hmm. his, his uh his ideas to the networks um, Yep. did you have something similar you know again as you as you evolved your career did you reach an inflection point again, you know, you're, you're t- talking about these projects, which have this commonality about humanity, about mm-hmm. the, you know, really to getting to know your subjects and why it's important for the viewer or the person who's reading to really understand the importance of why you're taking the time to meet with these people.
1: So, so if you're talking about you where know, for for 30 and, and what you, the kind of folks you so often bring on, on this podcast, you know, nobody's just one thing. Right? You, can, you can be a business person and you can also be a philanthropist. You can be engaging in the capitalist society that we live in while also finding ways to give back to the larger society we live in as people. Uh, I had this, I think, kind of unique in the arts experience of giving it up. You know, I, uh, about 2007 or so, um, after about six years in photojournalism, I essentially quit and it was too hard I was making terrible money I went into uh, being essentially a a junior corporate executive and a senior corporate executive and whatever skills and abilities and talents I had I was doing exceptionally well I was I ended up uh, a vice president of a private jet company I'm doing really really well financially and I had a uh, a girlfriend at the time uh who she's a wonderful woman. It didn't work out. Sometimes that happens. And, uh, she impressed upon me that I was making a giant raft of money and I was miserable. And she said, I, I really, really think you need to quit and give all of that up. And I haven't seen her in six or seven years or so. Um, Mm -hmm. she was her own wife. I occasionally check in with her. i talked to her actually a couple weeks ago, but I'll be indebted to her for the rest of my life. Absolutely, positively. She told me you need to quit, and I gave up a extremely robust salary to go to shooting a few weddings, freelancing for the Daily News, then for the Village Voice, etc. Doing things that I found uh, culturally and spiritually uh, fulfilling to sort of my sense of humanism. Starting to make my own projects. But a thing had happened while I was while I was gone, while I was away from the farm, going off and being a, a business person. I learned business, I learned business skills, I learned sales skills, I learned how to craft a project, how to convince somebody something is meaningful, I learned the value of an elevator pitch, I learned how you can do work that is meaningful and also not starve to death doing it. And that's something that's probably kind of unique. Uh, All the products I've I've done have always been essentially self-funded. I've been exploring recently different ways to do other things, but fundamentally I've used A to move on to B and B to move on to C. But fundamentally, you can learn skills along the way, and it's not bad to be a business person and also try and engage in your larger society.
0: Right. Right. It's it's you know, you, you, you identify the passion that that former girlfriend helped you, you know, held a mirror up is like, yeah, you know, you're making a lot of money. But there, you, again, you're miserable. There's 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 something missing, you know, going back to that to that love uh, of of, uh, of photography and, and, and photojournalism and uh, evolving that into wedding photography and then then wedding photography and, and, and some some assi- general assignments then that parlays into uh, exhibitions, other projects that become exhibitions, other projects become exhibitions that become books. So it's really having a it, it really what it sounds like is having a self belief. It's so funny. It's like you would get to a certain point in life where it's like am I ready? Um can I do this? And I think what you You're never ready. In... You're mm-hmm. no, you're never you're
1: never ready. That's the thing never about ready. it. So the thing about you you said uh, you'd had a, a guest on Crap you the story run. But he, he had quit his, his big career and he went, to be, went into television writing, as we said, correct?
0: Yes. Not, not yeah. a former guest, but a, 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 a Quora uh, oh, right. a of yes, sorry. Yeah, a response, yes. So,
1: so that person, right, right, he had choices he made. He wanted to give it up. He wanted to, to write. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's great. But he could have been writing sonnets. He didn't. He picked something where he would still be creatively engaged, but also not starve his family. Television writers do very well. He picked right. something where he knew that that would be sustaining. When I jumped ship uh, from being a, a, a loathsome business person, I uh, I went I went into originally uh, photographing weddings because they're a way to monetize photography. Now it turned out that I deeply, deeply love love shooting weddings in a way that very few, maybe no photographers really actually ever do. I, I truly love it. <laughs> That's unusual, but also fundamentally, that's not where I started with. I started with because I needed to, you know, not starve to death. And I could have said, well, I want to go and make pictures of this thing or that thing and hope for the best, but mm-hmm. fundamentally anything is hoping for the best. I shot weddings and I started shooting Simons and started shooting these projects, you know, basically being Tarzan and swinging from vine to vine and hoping the next will be right behind it. Right. And that is a fundamental business skill. You will never meet a successful business person at really any level who doesn't have a story of, well, I had this other idea and it failed. I was working at this place and I was fired. I was going to college and then I quit. There has to be a root and an element of failure and the absolute ability to be willing to except that you could be ruined at any given moment. You asked about elsewhere before. I have worked on elsewhere on and off for about four or five years. I doubt I've made a penny off of it. I, I don't think that I have. I love it and I do it. And I do other things that, that sometimes work out and sometimes don't. I broke even on Children of the Grass. I am slightly in the black on Invited to Life. But fundamentally, those things change over time. And you just you, you go into it because it's important to you, because you you think it's something that can work and you hope for the best and you hope to try and find that way to state the value to others. You know, everybody who's who's gonna be talking about, you know, billionaires these days, you can talk about the fundamental model of Amazon or Netflix, probably two of the biggest businesses in the United States right now. Netflix started with some guy having an idea and say, I want to send people dirty DVDs to their house. And I think it's really going to work out. And everyone said, no, you're stupid. But he believed in it. And Amazon starts with a guy, the stable story of a guy saying, well, you know, maybe I'm just going to try and start selling stuff online. Nobody's going to buy stuff online. There's no trust mechanism there. You go to the shop, you can see it in your hand and you can buy that thing. No, no, it's tactile. I can feel a thing. And in 1995 or whatever, nobody's going to trust that. He said, "No, no, no. I think I think that I think that might I think that might work out." And so, you know, fundamentally, all of these things start with somebody saying, "I've got an idea. I'm just going to run headlong into it, like the Kool Aid man going through a brick wall, hoping that on the other side of it is another brick wall." You know?
0: Right. It's, it's having. It's having. Yes. You're never going to be ready, but you have that belief. You have that 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 fundamental belief that it's going to work just based on, you know, all the steps that you're taking. And, you know, there's some diversification in some of the steps to get your end goal, you know, taking these little jobs that can, you know, pay the bills and the overhead, but I could also fuel, you know, the ultimate prize, which is again, focusing head on on, on some of these you know very important projects uh, to you, like elsewhere, children of grass and invited to life.
1: Eric, every yeah. single one of my projects, every single one has started with Somebody saying, you know, B.A., this is stupid and it's not going to work. Every single one of them. They've occasionally been right. Absolutely true. They've occasionally been right. But occasionally they've been wrong. I've got to have big exhibitions and I get to have big books and big names involved and etc. And, you know, the ability to just do that and run into that is crucial in business. It's absolutely, truly crucial in the arts, which is, you know, a, a big part of the idea of the starving artist, you know, uh, me me and Jeff Bezos, we're never going to blow into the same country club, but (laughs) I'm not exactly a starving artist either. And the reason for, for that is that most artists don't trouble themselves with learning business skills. I believe very strongly that all art schools in this country should also force business education which most people don't come out with. Most people, most people come out and say, well, I'm going to make a painting or I'm going to write a play and just hope for the best. And that, that, that's not a business. That's a hobby. It, it doesn't need to be, but that's what it ends up being. And so, you know, there's, there's no reason, again, coming back to this, is, there's no reason why it can't
0: be both. It can't, people can't be complex and do all these things. Right. And I think you articulated the premise of the show, which is, you know, speaking with people who are doing good while doing well, you can do both at the same time, you know, finding purpose and profit. You know, to your point, there's nothing wrong with, yes, uh, pursuing your art, uh, but it's also key and necessary if you want that to turn into a business to, under, to have those, those skills in order to make it, you know, from hobby to an actual uh, sustainable business uh, to, to maintain a living
1: there's a cultural perception i think and this this is key that we we tend to how to phrase this we tend to judge people for being comfortable especially in our social media age we want people to do okay but not well and certainly not better than us that's important and there's there's an ingrained sort of keeping up with the jones's ugliness thing that we have as, as a society in the arts you face this extremely common problem where you are expected to be impoverished and struggling and happy if you're an artist. And uh, all artists are fundamentally deeply depressed at whatever the level of success. Hi, how are you? But, but um, there's, there's also this absolutely important reality that there's no reason why it has to be that. Yes, the challenge spurs on the art. That's absolutely true. I hate all of my work. All of it. That's very common, very natural. So, you'll have know, every artist you meet will, with any sort of success will tell you that they hate their work. Um, that's that's an important thing to keep you spurred on. But, but you you also have a responsibility to yourself to to not engage in, in the suffering people expect of you either. Now I was I was awarded a, a grant. Uh, The first grant I'd ever actually won uh, not long ago, the state of New York, gave me a a grant for the product I'm currently working on, uh, which certainly felt nice. And then I got a letter from him saying, by the way, congratulations on this, not actually a ton of money we're going to give you. It's a requirement that you spend every single penny of this money. You cannot keep any for yourself. You have to spend it all on, on the project. You can't keep anything, which is a really interesting concept especially from a grant-making organization, hey, we're going to give you this money because we think the work is important, but also we do need you to suffer a little bit so we feel better about it. You know, Fundamentally, there's the idea of you, know, you can go to your local McDonald's. Uh, I don't recommend this because you'll die of heart attacks, but uh, you can go to your local McDonald's and part of the covenant is you don't really want to think about the fact the guy who owns your McDonald's is a multimillionaire, that little franchise guy, because he's owns five franchises. And his social media probably doesn't show him playing golf on a Wednesday. You know, because people in that position understand that being relatable, being likable is really key. And and part of that is is not being seen as successful. We talk about this a lot with philanthropy. We talk about this a lot with with billionaires. Uh billionaires are sort of the ultimate uh them in America now, and I'm not a billionaire, right. not likely to be a billionaire. Um, uh, do, I, I don't necessarily think that there's any way that I, I or you or most anybody can relate to the idea of being a billionaire, what that feels like. Uh, but also part of what happens in these conversations about billionaires revolves, revolves around, well, how, how do they spend their money? And is it is it appropriate for someone to have money? Is it appropriate for someone to be successful? And that's the same conversation that you have in the arts, just scaled way, way up, right? Uh, Sure, the guy who thought of, hey, we'll send dirty DVDs, I guess he should get to have something. But should he get to be a billionaire? Well, academically, we might say yes, but the part of us that grew up on playgrounds maybe doesn't,
0: you know? I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it, it, it's super interesting. Is that it's a, that that relatability uh, component? You know, do we want to see people more successful than we than than we do? Um, you know, we can have a whole conversation. You know, you you, go, you turn on. I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but I am. Uh, you turn on um, Bravo. Uh, a lot of that programming is you know talking about millionaires and billionaires in the United States, and what Andy Cohen has done uh, exquisitely well is that the viewers want to understand and want to see and want to be entertained by the millionaire lifestyle because it's, it's an aspiration. And, but again, it, it, go ahead.
1: America is a nation of 370 million temporarily embarrassed millionaires. Everybody thinks that they're one good idea away from that. And so that's why we can allow ourselves to be entertained by them. We also have a tendency, again, to them-them. They're allowed to entertain us because they they get turned from being people into being a product.
0: Right, but once to your point, once they become that person again, it's like, uh, let's vilify them. Let's them them. Let's yeah. You know, I don't want to see. You know, I don't want them to be them. Them to be more successful or be perceived as more successful than, than me, which is again, it's a it's it's a it's a major contradiction. But moving along, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. In 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 Good, it good um, luck keeping us
1: to thirty-five minutes, my friend.
0: Yes. Good good luck. I know. know, Exactly. We're, 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 we're catching up here. You know, I would be remiss, be remiss uh, to not mention, you know, when I said, you know, B.A. Van Syce to my parents is coming on the show, the the Cavelling, the the, look what the work that he's doing, uh, you know, for, uh, for the Jewish community, bringing, you know, incredible awareness. Uh, Again, it it should not be uh, understated. I, for one, you know, again, as I mentioned early on in the conversation, my family came, to the state to the united states you know in the the early earlyish ish 20th century um you know fleeing the pogroms in in uh in modern day russia and, and belarus um so i really I, like again I, you know, I went to hebrew school i i understand the holocaust i understand it's incredibly important for us to remember the holocaust so it doesn't happen again
1: mm-hmm.
0: um it's an incredible lesson and to your point you know the temperature in the united states has been turned up turned up oh yeah um you know and 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 more importantly and more specifically you know the the rise of anti-semitism in the United States you know you and I have spoken about this separately uh is an incredible is an issue that we need to address head-on I think the New York uh the New York Post um stated that 60 percent of of hate crime incidents in New York City has been uh caused by anti-Jew hatred and rhetoric so yeah uh, all that's to say, you know, this project, this book, the exhibition, again, it's incredibly important for us to discuss. Let's Sedentary, you know, just waiting the days out until, unfortunately, until they they pass away. But based on what I've been reading about, invited to life, and and again the exhibition, which I'd love for you to talk about, what have you? What have you? Again, I would lo- love to to learn the lessons uh, that that you were taught and that you're you are wanting to make sure is 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 um, conveyed to the audience and to the readers.
1: So the the first thing about it is, invited to life didn't actually necessarily start the Holocaust story. Which is the funny thing about it, the kind of, you surprise people. Uh, I started in 2015. I was working at the Village Voice, and I had wanted to do like a dozen portraits because at the time, in late 2015, there was a man running for president who was talking a lot about about refugees. He was talking a lot about uh, how Mexicans aren't sending their best people, how we need to build a wall to keep us free, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do a, a small sort of feature piece talking about what uh it looks like when you have refugees come to america and and what the sum of their lives look like uh i as you know come from a deeply immigrant family and uh, i said as as an immigrant is a binary or non-binary thing uh but uh yeah coming coming from that background i have a very strong feeling about immigrants and refugees and originally i had thought about doing something about uh the cuban refugees who come over uh after 59 after took power. And I just, I realized that they weren't quite uh, advanced uh, in their age and uh, enough for me to be able to talk about their lives as fully as I wanted to. And then I realized, oh, Begora, there's a whole group of people who came in between 1945 and 1950, this country as refugees and particularly other refugees, not being in a minority religion, not speaking the language. Uh, being sort of outcasts in the communities they come from, as well as the ones they were coming to. And I wanted to explore that. So I, I, I reached out to the Museum of Jewish Heritage here in New York. And I said, I wanted to try and find some survivors. I said I wanted to find a dozen. And pretty quickly, I had photographed 37. Uh, and I realized that it happened because I wasn't telling stories necessarily about the Holocaust. And I wasn't necessarily telling stories about people of the Jewish faith or background. Most of these survivors are Jewish, not all of them are. Uh, But what I realized was, I was telling stories about American experience and I was telling uh, stories about trauma processing. I came to realize immediately, I'm gonna sidetrack here a second, about a year ago I was on a call, you know, a, a video call with the woman who runs March of the Living. For those of your callers who don't know what March of the Living is, every year they get a, a number of, of Holocaust survivors and their families. Uh, they go to Krakow. They do essentially a march for recognition and remembrance. And the, the woman who was running this, uh, she was asking me how I got into this. I've, I've since learned differently, but I, I, at the time I did not know that I had any close connection to the Holocaust. So how did you get into this? And, uh, and I said, well, I, I, I sat down to meet about a dozen survivors and she stopped me. And she said, and let me guess, you fell in love. And I said, yes, that's exactly what happened. I am deeply inspired by these people, deeply, who came to this country, not necessarily wanted, if we're honest about it, Um, came here as refugees, not speaking the language. Most of them had literally, literally been slaves in camps in Europe and come here and say, well, a piece of this is for me too. And almost all of them were faced with a similar choice, especially the ones who were Jewish. I can go to either Israel or the United States. I can go to Israel where I'll be like everybody else. Or I can go to the United States, which is advanced citizenship, but presents a chance for opportunity. Perhaps a chance for ambition. Perhaps a chance to start completely anew. And they get sent to Every corner of this country, they get sent to Pittsburgh, they get to send to Ohio and California and Florida. There's a guy in Oklahoma, there's people in Texas. absolutely everywhere you can imagine, they get sent to places where they're extremely other. And they take, takes the word, a piece of America for themselves. And there's something that's deeply incredible and deeply inspiring in that. But here's the thing, here's the real thing for me they are and i am unambiguous in this the most joyous people you will ever meet i have met 140 holocaust survivors i'm willing to bet that there's probably nobody alive in the states right now who knows more most personally more survivors than than i do and when i say no i we we hang out i saw five of them last week i went to dinner with one of them uh, who like me has received tape mail because he's invited to life and you know I, I have seen what these folks can do and how they've overcome and i've also learned something from what they've taught me about your specific question which i have not forgotten you're talking about the rise in social anti-semitism in america right now i get lots of weird mail that has been increasingly ramping up and when it gets to me b.a van size gadding around having a good time wearing silly hats making art it's really kind of filtered down to a really kind of weird level i've there was a whole big thread on and i won't name it but one of the neo-nazi websites uh somehow or other i don't understand how this happened but one of the neo-nazis went to the exhibition i did at the center for jewish history uh this last i don't know how they showed up I don't know how they got in. I don't know what happened. I don't know what they saw. I don't understand. They got real rather up at it, and they started a thread on this neo-Nazi website. Hey, this product was made by B.A. Van Size. He's a race trader, And then they start stalking through my Facebook and looking at my private life and said, but wait, he looks a certain kind of way. Maybe he's not a race trader. Maybe he's just this thing or that thing. And there's this big, really active conversation about among neo-Nazis about me, and again, for those of you who are just tuning in now somehow, uh, Eric's known me for 30 years. Uh, in addition to being a gal it's really weird to me because I'm also, I'm just Gordon Sarah's boy from Baldwin. So it's a weird vibe for me. Um, and so it, it's, a, it's a weird thing to start getting this kind of mail and, and whatnot. And I get started getting people calling the house and all sorts of stuff. And the thing that gets me through it is this. I know 140 Holocaust survivors who have had it worse than anybody you've ever met and every one of them can tell you, you can get through it and you can move forward and you can start again. And whatever it is that's tough in your life, you can keep on moving. And these people have had for the most part really happy and inspiring lives of the fact that their foundation to life was someone trying to kill them or someone enslaving them. And they came to a country that maybe didn't want them, where they, they had a hard time adapting. Uh, almost all of them had to restart their lives as absolute total wrecks. There's so many stories of, well, I got married after the war and that failed because I was, you know, a rudderless monster. And it took me a while to find out who I was and how I could function in the world. But they still found a way. And to the folks right now who are troubled by the rise of antisocial semitism, The rise of just sort of vitriolic rhetoric in general. My response to it is that the human will is an incredible thing and people can surprise you and you can surprise yourself as well. And you, as long as you give yourself that opportunity and also the ability to step back, take a breath, realize where you are in the world and realize that no matter where you have it now, you probably still have it better than most anybody who came before you and can still have it better in the future. The most of your history is always still in your future. That's been my personal big takeaway. Um, I always find it interesting when talking about Invited to Life. You can tell who's maybe read the book, who hasn't, what they think about it based on whether they've, they've seen it or not. There's the biggest message of it is is sort of this message of inspiration that. Uh, that comes from these survivors. When I was doing the book, I did not have the, uh, the crisis and battle of egos with the publisher that I, I thought might happen. We didn't have a lot to bicker over. They were surprised when I handed them 224 pages of text to what they thought was going to be a photo book, but they edited it without much complaint and our only two real tough conversations came around to the cover and the title. I won on the cover and they won on the title. They wanted to add the words, finding hope. And I was was pretty against it. It felt a little twee to me at the time. And not all of these survivors found hope. Many of them did. Most of them did. Almost all of them found a new future and a better life and things that were really worthwhile, but not all of them did. And the further I get into it, you know, I think that they were right as much as I fought them on the title, I think that they were right. Cause fundamentally just surviving is a hopeful thing. Just finding your way is a hopeful thing. If I had gone through what most of these folks had gone through, I wouldn't be able to feed or bathe myself. How, who could, who could possibly, but still you can find a way they did.
0: You, you can find a way and, and it's, and it's an incredible perspective as you said, you know, what they, what they experienced is unspeakable. You there's no comparison Nothing. on what these survivors had, had gone through. Um, well, I, were, you know,
1: there, uh, there is though, I had a Holocaust survivor out in California who, who emailed me. Uh, it's actually been fun because the survivors has been getting the book now. And he took a little umbrage at something I wrote about him in the, um, in uh, the, the, my essay about him in the book. It's a very positive thing, but it's an honest thing. He's kind of a nervous guy and uh, talked about that a little bit. But he pointed out to me, he was in one Holocaust and there's a Holocaust every day. There's always something going on. There's challenges everywhere all the time, you know, um, within our own lives. How many wars and genocides and famines have happened? How many folks still live in slavery today while you and I are sitting here in our our, our homes and, and having this chat on a podcast with our internet and going to have nice meals and families tonight or whatever. But fundamentally, sure. you know, these are all challenges that we, we know we can't comprehend, but yet people got through them.
0: People got through them. No, it's also a great perspective. Again, just reeling it back to, to again, present day. Um, there's still strife. There's still problems. There's still, as you said, famine, genocide around the world. And again, and, and you know, we shouldn't ignore it we shouldn't neglect it everyone should should at least have the opportunity to find the life that they want to live uh and how they want to lead it where i want to again i i love this conversation but where i want to end this conversation is there's humanity but I mean, before the humanity there's that that tactile experiential narrative you know a little hunter s thompson-ish where you're you're leading the the person down mm-hmm. the path Of discovering what you're seeing from your perspective, Mm -hmm. um, how this person is uh, unique, how this person is just like us. Again, it's like making this world a little bit smaller, uh, which is which is incredible. You know, again, being this narrator, that's there's that humanity aspect. Again, how how are we all? Again, when we scratch the surface, you know, on the face of it, when we scratch the surface, you know, we're we're, we're more more similar than Monday. the strand event the mm-hmm. event at the strand bookstore uh, by union square where you can meet oh. ba as he talks about
1: and, two, and and two of the survivors two auschwitz survivors two are going to be joining me which i'm actually which is the thing i'm really excited about they, I'm, I, they, the strand said you can do whatever you want you can do whatever you want and i said okay well that's uh, uh intimidating i wanted the audience to have the chance to experience what i had so i have two auschwitz survivors whose lives have an interesting connection to one another, but became very, very different. And so they're gonna be joining me on the stage when we talk about the process of telling their stories, how lives look different after trauma, et cetera. So that's gonna be Monday.
0: So, so Monday, so I'll include a link to to find out more about again the BA's event at the Strand Bookstore. But the one, the other thing that I want, I want to, the pull out of of this conversation again, the the commonality, the humanity, you know, the, the more, we're more similar than we are different. Mm-hmm. The narrative, of course, the resilience, the resolve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to your point, you know, when, again, speaking about you, BA, about you know, finding your path, <laughs> it's that belief, that that resilience, you know, it, you know. You know, not not everyone's life is linear and sequential. You know, there's no as we go yeah. through life. But yeah. And again, not not we're, not we're not different. You know, the listeners aren't different. I imagine. You know, are foibles and successes you know, along mm-hmm. the way. But again, it's that resolve, uh, and that resolve that gets infused into the story that you're telling. imagine you know some of the poets you know uh that you profiled in children of grass had had interesting sort of backgrounds and stories of how mm-hmm. they actually got to where they got yeah. to, uh to tell that story so i, I again I, I think you know as, as i try to find the commonality between my guests uh, and their stories that they tell yes ba is definitely that person who again lives and operates at that nexus of, uh, of purpose professionalism uh of you know not yes you know making a living again it's it's, we're not demonizing yes you can be professionally ambitious but never lose sight of your core fundamental values which i think you've been very effusive both here in this conversation but also in the work that you do so
1: thank you i
0: really do appreciate your time ba uh before we wrap up is there any other parting words that you'd like to get across to to the listeners you know whether it's invited to life or any of the other projects that you're working on
1: yeah, actually, I I do. Uh, while I was sitting here chatting, I've actually been thinking about sort of the role of you, know, you and I sitting here in a podcast, and I just, you know talking about how different lives that people live. And I think the reality is anybody who uh, is listening to your podcast is somebody who fundamentally wants to be a leader, and anybody who is appearing on your podcast is somebody who has some sort of public-facing role. I wouldn't necessarily come as the leader, but I. I certainly have a public facing role Mm -hmm. and there is a responsibility there, whether you're in business or in the arts or anything else. um, You do have a responsibility in that leadership, in that uh, sense of creation, whether that's the creation of art or capital or anything else to come back to what I was talking about before, about the idea of making humanity a little smaller, fundamentally everybody's different. Yeah, but everybody's not that different. And if you are given that opportunity, you know you need, to, you really, truly need to find a way to use that that podium, use that forum, use that exhibition, use that book to try and bring people a little closer, especially because we're living in a divisive time, uh, wildly perhaps unnecessarily divisive time that if you have that opportunity the world's a small place and you can use it to show that and to make that uh, a more obvious reality so i like that uh yeah with worthy 30 the people you bring on are folks who understand that and and and, and want to do that you can do well but you should also make sure to do good
0: you can do well but you make sure to always do good yeah or to find a way to do good again it's not you know, I'm not, I'm not, again, yes, uh, and, and and in in in, yeah, in in natural fashion, which I, I think you know is, is you know is a, a good human as a as a mensch. You know, if you again, one more Yiddish word before we wrap up. You do, mensch, love, you do you have uh,
1: yes. a good Yiddish word, don't you?
0: I, I, I try to. Yeah. I try to have a good Yiddish word, uh, but as as I, as I said, um, you know, I I. I appreciate the time the insights the perspective uh i definitely feel a lot more grounded i I imagine the 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 listeners do too uh listening to all the work and the experiences that you've had and as i as i mentioned uh, i'll put you know your website where to find invited to life the strand bookstore event um yeah and reach out to to be a follow i'm very easy to find i like everybody He, he likes everybody see See, look at that. So, BA, th- thank you for your time this afternoon, uh, and we'll uh, we'll hear from you. Soon. Thank you
1: so much, Eric. I'm so glad to catch up.